and welcome back to The Catch. I am your host, Michael Adams. Our co-host, John Rahimi, is out today, but I am joined by a very special guest from Prasadi USA, Christine Wohar, the executive director. Christine, how are you today? I'm great. Great to be here. Sorry John couldn't make it. He missed out. He did miss out. I know. He's missed out on a good discussion, I think. Um, but Christine's here to actually discuss Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frasati. She is the executive director over at Frasati USA. So, Christine, I was wondering just to introduce yourself to everyone a little bit about yourself, also your role with Frasati USA and what the mission of Frasati USA is. Okay, I'll try to do that really quickly because my story is not the important one. But um, I met Piotr Giorgio when I moved to Nashville to go to law school at Vanderbilt. And the parish priest, my parish priest at the time, wanted to start a young adult group. And he came up with the name. I had never heard of Piotr Giorgio. And he came up with the name one day for our group. And it, it, was, it was like I came to Nashville to go to law school but the Lord had other plans. Like I think if uh, from the day I met that priest within 12 hours of coming to Nashville, and I think that Pierre Giorgio has really been the running track uh, throughout this entire 25 years that I've been here. So we started a Frasati Society and we found that we couldn't really find materials anywhere. And then um, I went to work for the Nashville Dominicans in 2002 and started a Frasati Society there on campus. And the same kind of thing, couldn't find materials anywhere. And in 2006, I was in Rome and met Pierre Giorgio's niece, Wanda Gavronska, and visited her at her office in Rome. And she was saying how she really needed help. And it was the closest I can understand to when a religious person says that they had a call, a call within a call, because I had left the law firm to work for the Nashville Dominican. So that was kind of like responding to the Lord in a certain sense. And then um, I left the National Dominicans and started this ministry for Saudi USA, which I guess was, I felt like somebody had to do it. I think, so it's one of those things that you just have to say the whole, it was a Holy Spirit thing. So for Saudi USA started in 2006, I kind of left everything and went over to Italy to the Frasati family summer home for three months. And I met Pier Giorgio's sister. Two days later, we had her 104th birthday party outside in the, in the back of the house. And um, to think that one day you're in Nashville and the next day you're having birthday cake with uh, Pierre Giorgio's sister and his family. Just just stunning. So um, I just uh, wrote something where I said, when you take a leap of faith, you really never know where you're going to land. And I wasn't there in Italy mm, probably the first couple of weeks in, in working with Pierre Giorgio's niece. And it became very evident that what she needed most was somebody to try to do more in the United States and so Frasati USA was born um, in, in that sense over there in Italy. And it became obvious for, for both of us that if I would come back and have an organization here to provide resources, to be able to, a place to, to, to design and print prayer cards and posters and get the books out there and um, start a website and social media so that people would have a, a source here. Because she basically was doing everything all around the world on her own. And so Frasati USA started then. This has been 14, it'll be 14 years in December um, of just trying to put out his spirituality here in the United States. So we're not an organization that has meetings for young adults, but we're an organization to provide resources and support and information. My number one goal really is to have the most accurate information for the English speaking world on our website. So I'm very careful. And when you go to the website, frasatiusa.org, you should be able to know that 
that information is the accurate information. Even if you read something else in a book or, or hear it on a CD or a talk or something like that, it should be the most accurate. And the ultimate goal is sharing what your ultimate goal is to catch those souls and win them for Christ through the example and spirituality of Blessed Pierre Giorgio. And hopefully, God willing, it contributes in some way to his canonization. Yeah, exactly. I, I said I would be brief. I said I would be brief. I was a little bit long, but that's okay. No, get used get, I hope your listeners will get used to it. That's my standard uh, answer technique. I think it was necessary. Uh, I think all of our jaw drops when you said you were having birthday cake with his sister, who I know he had such a special relationship with, with, with as well. Um, but it's kind of incredible how your one small yes, I mean, it's a big yes leaving law and going into working for the Dominicans. But it's interesting how that one little yes of, you had no idea really what the yes was to until you found Bless Pierre Giorgio. Um, but again, we, we were talking right before this podcast and I was kind of telling you my devotion to Pierre Giorgio. And one thing we kind of discovered is, you know, either people know about him and have a passionate devotion to him, or he's a name that they might've heard in conversation, not familiar with, or they just haven't heard of at all. Um, and, you know, I'm talking to the Pierre Giorgio world expert here. So I was wondering if you could maybe just go into like just a brief high level overview of who is plus Pierre Giorgio Frassati, what was his life and you know, what is, why should we try to emulate him and why should we live out his spirituality in today's world? Well, the, the elevator speech is he was born in 1901 and he died in 1925 kind of thing. Um, it's not, it's not representative of his life. People know him, like you say, people know him. Who he is, I guess, depends on who you are because you find in him something that you can relate to. But Pierre Giorgio only lived 24 years. And I think that's a big thing to remember. Um, and part of why he's so popular is because he's so youthful. Um, every picture of him is just a young, vibrant, handsome, athletic, uh, normal, everyday looking kind of guy. Um, when he was beatified, he was beatified in 1990 by Pope John Paul II, and in the beatification homily, he said, Pierre Giorgio testifies that holiness is possible for everyone. And I think that's the best description I can give of, of Pierre Giorgio is that he shows us that we can be holy. Uh, John Paul said that um, he shows you can be holy in your sports, in your study, in your friendships, in your relationships, in your family life, that the the model of Pier Giorgio, he's known as the man of the eight beatitudes. Uh, it's the happy um, the happy track to heaven, I guess, where rather than more the penitential uh, mortification track. Although that's misleading too, because Pier Giorgio was big on fasting and and personal sacrifice. Um, but he was born into a very wealthy family. His father was a successful businessman and then a successful politician. His mother was a successful um, artist, not professional, but very successful and good at what she did. And so he had everything at his fingertips. He lived at a time where, where most people didn't have what he had, a butler, a maid, a chauffeur, I mean, a garden, garden staff, and, and all of those things. Big family connections, uh, power in, uh, in the family, money, um, good friends, good looks, a sense of humor. But for him, there was something more, and that was uh, his love of the Eucharist, his love of the Blessed Mother, and his desire to be with the Lord. So why he's so important to people who, who get to know him and love him, they love him because he can look at a guy wearing a mountain climbing outfit or with a pipe in his mouth, which some people don't like to see that he had a pipe or he smoked a terrible smelly Italian uh, cigar or 
things like that. But he was a regular guy, uh, a lay person who lived a normal life, but he lived it fully. And, and so he's a good model for us that, you know, you can be in the world and not of the world. You can enjoy the things of the world, but keep them in perspective. And he helps us to do that. So he died at the age of 24 because he had a somewhat hidden life of service to the poor. And he died from an infectious disease, polio. Um, and when he died, thousands of people went to his funeral. And it really was the beginning of the cry for his canonization. So um, a, a brief life, which is, I always tell people to keep in perspective that Pier Giorgio had one younger sister who lived to be 105. He lived to be 24. And we don't know if we get the 24 or the 105. And so you really can't wait to make that decision for Christ because you might get the 24, you might get the 105. And also he had uh, an older sister that people never, um, it's usually not on their radar that the, the family had, a, he wasn't the first child born to his parents. They had a daughter who died in infancy at eight months old. So in one family, there was a child who lived eight months a child who lived 24 years and one who lived to be 105. And we have no control over that, but we have control over the decision we make um, to try to live for Christ each and every day. And that, that's what he's great for is to show us to do it now, to live life, live it fully, live it in abundance, John 10, 10. Exactly. And I think one of the things that really makes me so passionate about him is his just immediate answering of the call. Um, I think I read something that's like, you know, he was only really living out his service to the poor and his mission really was only about seven years long. Um, within that seven years though, he achieved such a level of holiness that he is now beatified and is in the process of canonization. Um, but I think for me, like what I really attach to is I'm an engineer. Um, so when I first, oh, like, okay. so when I first read his story, I was like, Oh, he's a, he's an engineer too. Like, this is kind of crazy, kind of a funny story. Um, and I was like, okay, he's like an engineer. He likes mountain climbing uh here he is like smoking his pipe and I was like these are all things that like I like personally love to do I was like he's so relatable um and I think we were discussing before too like I was so frustrated with examples in the church like yes great examples in the saints but someone who I could really relate to and someone who I feel like I could emulate in my life and I think that's why a lot of the youth really attached to his story too because again he is this very young youthful character who was out mountain climbing with his friends making like his own little friend group of close knit friends that are all growing in virtue uh, as well as his witness to his friends. Um, and something that you talked about that I really am inspired by him is his balance between the secular world and his faith. Uh, something I've read before is his relationship with his father and the struggle of that relationship with his father, really wanting him to kind of follow in his footsteps and take on the leadership role and really be of the world in his work and how much that hurt Pierre Giorgio and how much he really just did not have that desire. And something I wanted to ask you, just his balance of that and what can we take from that? How can we really look at how he struggled with that and turn his struggles into our victories? Yeah. First, I wanted to say, you said the three words most often said, he's so relatable. Those are the three words I hear more than almost anything, except for, can I get a relic? <laughs> Which you can't, that's five. Yep. <laughs> the second to that is he's so relatable. Um, the, the situation with his father is, is complex because in, in, the, in the books about the family, the father is portrayed in a harsh way, almost, almost like that he had no religion. It's complicated, but I would just say what you said is right about the career path. Pierre Giorgio was wanting to be 
a mining engineer because that's where the poorest of the poor were in the mines, which means a lot to me because when my grandfather came um, on my father's side, when, when he came to America, they took jobs in the coal mines. And I began to think about how he was exactly the kind of person that Pierre Giorgio cared about, that he wanted to give his life. And it's also fascinating to me to think that this is a guy who loved to be on the mountains so much that he wrote on a piece of paper, mountains, 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 I love you. I don't think I've ever written anything on a piece of paper like pretzels, 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 I love you. Like I, there are things I like a lot, um, but I just, he wrote that down, mountains, mountains, mountains. He loved them so much, but he chose a career that would have put him in the dark deep of the coal mines. I mean, think about that. Uh, that alone, his career path was um, an incredible sacrifice, uh, a submission of his his passion for the mountains, because he said, the higher we go, the better we shall hear the voice of Christ. So why would he choose to go the lowest, you know, because out of love for the those people, out of love for the, the miners who he saw as the most underprivileged. His father, of course, expected him, as you would expect your son, basically to continue in the family business. So when his father, when Pierre Giorgio was close to graduating, he was never on the four-year college plan. I mean, he was on like the six-year plan. Yeah, he was, he was the super senior. <laughs> when he was close to graduating, his father didn't even approach him about the job at the paper. He had one of his managers at the paper do it. And that manager tells the story that he said to Pierre Giorgio, your father has the desk ready. The job is, you know, that he wants you to do there. And he said that Pierre Giorgio looked at him and said with tears in his eyes, if that is what my father wants, then tell him I accept. So God took him before that happened because he died two exams short of his college degree. And of course, he never did go to work either in the mines or at the paper. But he had a greater sense of obedience to his father. And this has challenged some people over the years when I've talked about that. And I don't really have a good answer. If Is that the right decision when you feel really called by the Lord to serve and you've, you've dedicated your whole life in this direction, but out of love and obedience to his father, he was going to take this other career path. The only thing I would say is, like, like, was that serving God by saying he would do what his father wanted? Or should he have said, no, I, I really want to work in the mines? Like, it's a difficult question. But he had such a great love and respect for his parents. And I think that's often uh, mischaracterized a lot in the books. So he was prepared to do that. You know, his sister was the achiever. And growing up, they would say things like, it would have been better for Luciana to be the man, the boy in the family. And that Pierre Giorgio, if you continue down this path, you'll never amount to much. You're going to be a blockhead your whole life. Um, his mother said, even if he lived to be 40, Luciana, he would never be as smart as Luciana. So he was kind of in her shadow. She finished her college degree um, in law, like her father, before he even finished his degree. Um, I mean, she was already done and graduated. He writes and gives her a nice graduation present. So he never did have to go and work in the mines. And sometimes I wonder, I mean, he never did have to go and work at the paper, but sometimes I wonder, um, even though he said that, I accept, and he was prepared to do it, part of me thinks that he would have been able to find a way to be in the mines. Like, I think that he would have worked on that 
he would have been obedient. And I think out of love for him, his father probably would have seen that his son would have been happier in another career path. So when we look at that story just in a book, people think, oh, it's terrible. His father didn't get it and wanted him to be at the paper. But it wasn't really the end of the story because had he lived, I suspect, you know, things might have gone taken a different turn with his father had such a great love and respect for him. When Pierre Giorgio died, um, even if, if somebody needed a favor, they would go to Pierre Giorgio to get to the father because his father said he was the only, Pierre Giorgio was the only person like he could never say no to. So even though there's a lot of characterization of a harshness in the relationship, there was a deep deep love between the two, a great respect. And you can't just take a snapshot from a page in a book and make that the the end all of the relationship between them because it was complex. Yeah, from like an outside perspective, the way it's painted, it can seem very black and white. Um, right. But again, like when you get into the actual intertwinings of it, it's very complex. And again, like going off of what we know about Blessed Pierre Giorgio, it's hard to imagine that he would have just accepted that job and that would have just been the, that would have been the end of him. Like he wouldn't have gone on to serve in mission in any way. It's hard for me to wrap my mind like, oh yeah, he would have just gone in there, accepted that role and that would have been the end of it. Like he was gone on, lived that life and done everything that his father wanted. It's, it's hard to imagine that he wouldn't have found some way of, you know, of living out that mission. I think today's culture, that's one of the biggest challenges. Um, like even with my own self, I, I feel so called to mission work um, and so called to evangelization but it's that constant tug of that those worldly things that matter, you know, jobs, titles, money, all those, the influence. And that's why. None of of which matter to him. And and there's the rub, right? None of that matter to him. Yeah, exactly. And he wasn't taking that job for those. He was taking those Mm -hmm. out of love and respect for his father. But it's again, one of those things that we can look at him and he went to go get his degree and he was going to go take a job. You could say it's a worldly job. He's going to serve the minors. But in reality, he was using those worldly talents for divine purposes. It wasn't like right. he was just becoming an engineer because he's like, you know what? I love engineering. I'm going to go do this practice the rest of my life. And that's going to be great. Like, I'm going to be fully satisfied. Like, no, I'm going to take this type of engineering. I'm going to do this so that I can serve the poorest of the poor, so that I can glorify God through that work. It's that constant balance. I think a lot of us say it's either one or the other. You're either fully living within the faith or you're fully living within the world. And I think Pierre Giorgio really beautifully shows the balance in that of how they kind of actually intertwined and can meet in the middle and can work very well together. Right. And of course he could have taken the easiest courses there ever were in college. Uh, Knowing that his father was a successful man and had a job that he could have just coasted. So the fact that he even persisted in engineering, I don't know, like, did he really love it? I really wonder, or at the time of Pierre Giorgio's life, uh, uh, Rerum Novarum was the first great social encyclical, and he, it was very much on his radar, because sometimes in some of his letters, you'll see he always uh, would write where he, a lot of times he would put where he was writing from, and if there was a special feast or something, and so he would, on one of his letters, he put like the anniversary of Rerum Novarum, Um, he was following um, in his in his work in St. Vincent de Paul, you mentioned earlier that he only had seven years really of that work service to the poor because he joined St. Vincent de Paul at 17. That was an, um, kind of an extension of how much the encyclical Raman of Arm impacted him. He was known as a brother to the workers. He was at every workers meeting supporting them. And yet he could have just done the easy, he could have taken the easiest path of all because his dad was a successful, influential, powerful man in, in Italy at the time. 
And so I, I sometimes I wonder, I know that when he was a boy, he did like to go on climbs up the mountains and collect rocks and minerals. And he did have a collection that he would get back on a typewriter and he would type up what that rock and mineral was and that when he died, they donated that collection. So maybe he did have a real deep love for um, the mines. I know in college he wrote, he wrote a lot of letters when he traveled that he was going to in places in Poland and so ever, uh, different places like that where he was going to go and look in the mines. So like, I, I sometimes wonder, was he really that passionate about it? I think there's enough evidence to say he was, but he could have just done practically um, nothing, which shows that he, you know, the big famous quote about Pietro Giorgio is that we should live and not exist. So his choice of mining engineering was a choice consistent with living and not existing because just doing the the bare minimum and then having a desk job at the paper would have been for him just sheer existence i try to picture pierre Giorgio working at a desk at the paper i just can't get there oh, especially <laughs> with all the images of him where i mean most of the famous images of him he's either climbing a mountain or he's on top of a mountain or he's doing something very active he's skiing all of these things and imagine him just being like a desk jockey is so hard to wrap the mind around <laughs> I think he would have gotten fired in six months, my prediction. <laughs> I think he would have given away every, no, I think, um, and the other thing people don't realize is that Mr. Frassati, when he was just at the paper before he became a senator and an ambassador, um, the Frassatis did a lot of charitable works. People sometimes think like they were, like Pierre Giorgio did all this charity that they knew nothing about. It, his, his extent of charity was so much beyond what theirs was, but he, they did a lot. Even at the newspaper, Mr. Frasati, for instance, kept a supply of coal. So poor people who didn't have coal could come and get coal. And if they weren't, wasn't coal, then he had the secretary have something else that she could give them, um, like to be able to go and get what they needed for heating. So if, if there were things to be given away at the newspaper, Pierre Georgia would have found a way to like give it all away. And they probably would have been like, why don't you try the mine, son? <laughs> Maybe you'd be better off there. <laughs> no, difficult. Those are difficult discernment questions, right? Mm -hmm. Because he made that decision very early to go into engineering, to serve the poor, to be among the miners. Um, he, caught, he sacrificed that. It was a mortification for him to say, I'll be at the paper. Um, and yet he was happy with both decisions. He, he would have been, he was happy. Uh, fulfilling what he thought was his you know the best plan for him to serve the poor and also happy uh, even though he had tears in his eyes and said with tears in my eyes the man said with tears in his eyes he said I accept he was happy because it was acceptance and obedience of his father's wishes and, and I think that's a big lesson in all of that that when we make those choices and God asks us to do something you know the cliche right God loves a cheerful giver um, I'm a I'm a big grumbling giver all the time, and Pierre Giorgio uh, is a good model for me on that. That he was a cheerful giver. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I think even just like the idea of him with with tears in his eyes. I think oftentimes like we imagine the call to just be so easy to answer. Like the call is going to be this, and when I know the call, I'm going to be so joyful, and everything is going to be perfect. It's like more than likely, right. it's it might be met with resistance, and it might not be the easiest choice to make. And oftentimes, it's not the easiest choice to make. That's why even just like the small details of his call and the small details of his yes are so inspiring. It's something that you did talk about, like his involvement with the St. Vincent de Paul Society um, and his love of the poor. There's two stories that I, I read a couple months ago and uh, just kind of him with his friends. There's one where he was walking when it was cold and uh, showed up at home without his jacket and he'd given his jacket away to the poorest of the poor. And then the other one was uh, when his, his parents would give him money to ride first class on the train 
And when he would do that, he would buy the lowest class, which was third class, and then he would give the rest of his money away to the poor. And as, I remember when his friends asked him, like, you know, why, why are you doing this? And he's like, well, because there's no fourth class. Like, right. what is the purpose of this? Like, wh- why do I need to be first class? And it's such, it's such an important lesson for today's materialistic world where we do value the status and we value, especially with social media, like we value what other people see. Um, it's like, oh, I want people to see I'm on first class. Or I want people to see that I am right. this person of status. And here is this person who has genuine status in the world and has actual ability to climb that ladder. And he is just like, yeah, I don't need it. It's, it's not what's important. You know, there, there's other things and this can serve others so much greater. And it's such an important lesson that today's culture can really look at from a secular view, worldly view, as well as like a faith perspective view of, you know, how are we presenting ourselves and what is the purpose of our presenting ourselves? Are we presenting ourselves out of genuine goodness of our heart? Or are we presenting ourselves out of a way where we, we want others to see it? And even with him, with his service to the poor, like he said, at his funeral, when thousands of people showed up, I, I, his family was almost bewildered there. You know, no one knew how right. the extent of his mission, no one knew the extent of his service. And just the way that he was able to serve almost in like secrecy, how he was able to do that and the fruit of that mission is something that we all can take note of because I think just today's world, everyone wants to show off their accomplishments. We all want people to know the good works. We all want people to know our successes, whereas he was almost the exact opposite. Yeah, he wouldn't even use the family name uh, when he visited. Most of those poor people at his funeral, that was when they discovered that he was the son of this wealthy um, family, this very well-known family, powerful family. He would use his um, his name in when he joined the late the Third Order Dominicans as a lay lay vocation. He took the name Girolamo Savonarola, and so he would just sometimes say it was Brother Jerome, you know, Fra Girolamo, or just something like that, um, a confrere of Saint Vincent de Paul, or something. So he wouldn't use the family name. And people would find out after the fact. There's a there's a, an entire book that still is not available in English. I'm sorry to say, and it's it's about his charity. And it's just one story after another that was collected after he died about his charitable works and how many of those stories were people discovered after the fact who he was. And that is, that's a humbling thing to, to meditate on. Uh, what you said about he wrote fourth class because a third class because there was no fourth class. His um, detachment was a bit much for his family. The incident about his giving away his good overcoat, he was in Berlin at the embassy when his father was ambassador to Germany and it was below zero out. And he came home without that coat on and his father said, you know, where's your coat? He said, I gave it to a poor man on the street. And his father like thought that was excessive. Um, You know, why would you do that? And his answer was because father, the man was cold. Like for him, it was the man was cold, so I gave him my coat. Yeah, such a simple answer. So black and white. Yeah. Like I ride third class because there's no fourth class. It's there's not a question. And and you know, he's known as the man of Beatitudes, but the first Beatitude, poverty of spirit. He is a great example of detachment in that regard. Um, when his uncle Pietro died, the the will, I think it was there was a will that he left. I think it was a million lira. It was a large number, but translated to today, I don't know how much money that was, but it was a million lira, and I don't care, millions and million, even <laughs> in 19, whatever. And the father, Pierre Giorgio's dad, took the money and made a donation to some place. And so Pierre Giorgio's sister, uh, who was supposed to get half, they reached supposed to get half of that. 
asked him, how did he feel about the father doing that? And he said, well, it could have helped a lot of poor. Um, you know, he had no control over it. But mm-hmm. the bottom line is, had he gotten that money, it would have gone right through his fingers. There's an, there's yep. an expression in Italian. It's called tasca verde. Tasca verde and tasca is pocket and verde means green, mm-hmm. but the expression basically means you're broke, you're, you, you're empty pockets. Yep. Um, so Pier Giorgio was known as the one who always had the tasca verde, the empty pockets. If you're al verde, you're broke, right? So yep. this is to me the opposite because our money's green. And so I'm thinking if you're in the green, you're, you're rich. Um, he was known as the guy who was always broke. And yet they also knew that if you needed something, he was the guy to go to. Mm-hmm. So, um, the, and he kept the very detailed ledgers. Um, and if you ever see those, uh, if, if you visit the summer home, they have one of them on display, but there's pictures of those things um, on the internet and maybe on our website, I'm not sure. But the word in charity was Elamosina. And if you look at his ledger, because any, any money that went in his hands, he kept track of, because a lot of times he was borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. So he would go to people and get, money from them to go and help the poor but he would keep track and so he would his his ledger will have like elemosina 20 elemosina 30 elemosina 10 and then it would have cigarro you know five like he was toscano it was toscano not cigarro toscano where he went and bought a little you know yep. cigar but most of the time it was elemosina 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 mm-hmm. because he was keeping track of that he did owe somebody this money Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes his friends would have to pay for him to go on a skiing trip or something because they knew he was broke and his parents would, I guess, have had a limit of how much of the money they would give him knowing that it was just going right through his fingers. But, but the other thing I think is, is worth pointing out about that is it didn't start when he was 17. It didn't start when he was 12 and started going to the Eucharist. This is a grace. I think that we have to acknowledge when he was a little boy. And in the story of his life, it really just grew and grew and grew into a great crescendo. Because even as a little boy, there's the story in all the books about how a woman knocked at the door with a child with no shoes on. Pierre Giorgio answered the door as a boy. Uh, he saw that and he took off his own shoes and socks and gave it to the, the mother. And then he shut the door because he didn't want to get in trouble for what he had just done. So what little boy at that age would just see this? And give away. So he was giving away his clothes like early on. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on, stop already. Um, so that that began he, he, when he went to the kindergarten with his grand with his father or his grandfather. I'm confused right now. And he saw the boy with the skin disease eating by himself. And he went and sat down and he took a spoon and he said, "One for you, one for me," because he had the compassion to sit with the boy who was being ostracized because he didn't because his face or his skin was, um, you know not as smooth as the rest of the kids and he was being isolated. So he had that um, charity, that sense of charity, love. He saw Christ in others. He had the detachment, but it grew and grew, which is to me another one of the good lessons for us because Pierre Giorgio would tell his friends, try to have your spiritual muscles, try twice as strong as your physical muscles. And you don't build your spiritual muscles um, like the virtues Without practice, uh, a good priest that um, at the parish I go to the other day was talking about fasting, and he said, "The church requires you to fast two days a, a year during Lent. You know, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday." He said, "What have you ever gotten good at doing twice in your twice a year in your life?" 
And, and it was a good reminder for me to think about. And so he was encouraging us to fast more, which Pierre Giorgio did a, do a lot of fasting. But to grow in our spiritual muscles, as Pierre Giorgio said, that takes doing the virtues, practicing the virtues, and build doing those virtue building habits so that the next time a situation comes, like it gets easier to give away your coat in sub-zero weather, I guess, if you've been doing those things all your life or going up to a disfigured person and being able to see Christ in them because your whole life you've been building to that response. So um, that was an important lesson I think that he does give us that you don't always have some like bolt of lightning type of conversion experience. Sometimes it's just really just doing it and the doing of it every day is what makes you able to do it the next day and do it better and better, which, which I think is just a really another good example of his life that I'm still trying to emulate and learn from. Yeah. I always say that, you know, grace is built on graces, you know, right. it, it has to start with a small yes. It can't just be this one big heroic yes. And when we look at Pierre Georgia, like, it could be very easy to say like, Oh, when he was 17, he started serving the poor and it was this heroic mission that he lived, which is true. It is. But again, it started when he was a child. It's small right. yeses and those small yeses prepare you to make those big yeses. And if you're just given that big decision, you're not going to be prepared to make the right decision because you haven't been trained. You're going to be there and you're going to be too weak to carry that cross. Um, and I'm a huge advocacy for uh, fasting, especially year round Friday meat fasting. Um, and again, it's one of those things that when you start doing consistent fasting, it is so challenging. Like it gets easier over time, but the first week you do it or the first month you do it, it's not fun. It's always on your mind. You think of all the things you're missing out on. Um, and it's just a good example to see like fasting has far more power than we think it does. If, if we look at it from like the church view of like, oh, we only have to do it two days a week or two days a year. It's like, okay, well, what is really the importance of fasting? And if I only have to right. do it twice a year, it's like when right. you really look into like the fruit of fasting and like the beauty of fasting, it's like, oh, wow, this can be life-altering, life-changing, world-changing even. And we see that in Pierre George. I mean, I don't think that he could have achieved his level of holiness at the age of 24 without his fasting. Right. I think it was John Vianney who said, there's nothing the devil fear, fears more than fasting. But I think St. John Vianney would eat like one burnt potato a day. And I'm like, I don't want that either. <laughs> <laughs> there's got to be a balance. <laughs> I remember reading a story about St. Francis that he... Uh, I don't, he had a sandwich one time and he put ashes on it. And I was like, you know, oh my gosh. I don't think I need to go that far. No, <laughs> There's got to be a balance for me. <laughs> extreme. extreme. Uh, but Pierre Giorgio was, um, it, it was so habitual for him, the fasting, that it was a no brainer. Like you say, when you start out, my sister and I just had this conversation about the first, the initial uh, fasting hunger pains and all of that and then it actually becomes more routine and then you can I think be more focused on the spiritual aspect of the sacrifice of fasting rather than I can't wait until this hour <laughs> to yeah. get something to eat keep in mind that when Pierre Giorgio was growing up um, you did not receive the Eucharist uh, you did not eat after midnight mm -hmm. and that's why even his sister's wedding was at like six or six thirty or seven in the morning I'd have to look that up but I have it written down somewhere her wedding, weddings were very early in the morning because you wouldn't have a wedding late in the day because people had to fast yep. all the way up until they received the Eucharist. So for him, uh, we have that one hour before you receive communion. Then we all look at our watches and go, well, gee, it's 10 to nine, mass is at nine. I can just like practically walk in the church door and know it'll be an hour before I receive the Eucharist. Yep. And back in those days, you had from midnight on. And so if he were... Uh, if he if he had gone to a 
on a mountain climb or whatever, they would say to him, well, Pier Giorgio, there's a dispensation because you're in the mountains. And he would say, if those of us who are strong enough and able to fast, don't do it, who will? And he would not, he would fast. He would keep his fast even on mountain climbs because he wanted to be able to receive the Eucharist, even if it meant that he was going to come down the mountain at four in the afternoon and go to church. Uh, he would keep that, uh, that fast because he also felt like it was a privilege um, because he had the greater grace because he was able to do it. But one of the, one of the quotes that he also says, um, Pierre Giorgio says, is what a, what a great wealth it is to be in the health that we are. And to not give our, not to use our health to help others would be to betray that gift of God. So he saw his health, his fitness as a gift from God that then required him to put it at the service of others. And um, so I think the spirituality of fasting, we really need that right now. Mm -hmm. Especially um, with the, the state of the world right now, it could be a game changer for the world. Right. I, I think in the spiritual warfare battles, the fasting and what you said that he probably wouldn't have ach achieved the degree of holiness without fasting. I think that's very, very accurate. He reminded the cooks in the house today's Friday, there shouldn't be meat. Um, Lent, it was not even a question of the things he would give up during Lent. And one day somebody was quibbling with him, like having coffee latte, and if they put the milk in first and then put the coffee on top, or if you had a cup of coffee and you added milk, it, like if you did it one way, it wasn't really breaking the fast. And he said, you know, well, that's not what, you know, that's not right. You, that's not how you do it. And it's not even the spirit of it. Even if mm -hmm. technically it fit the, the rules, it wasn't the spirit of it. So yeah, fasting is a lost, is kind of uh, faded off as a good spiritual practice right now. I think if people did even one thing like that, um, asking for his intercession, Piotr Giorgio today, could you help me to get through today? And, and fasting from food, I think it's real easy to say, I'm gonna fast from Facebook or social media or Instagram or you know, whatever. I think we, we have to get back to the fasting from the meals, mm -hmm. um, the way Jesus taught us his fasting in the desert and so on. And, and Pierre Giorgio is a terrific spiritual companion for getting back into that practice. And it will bear, as you said, tremendous fruit in your life. Exactly. I think of him hiking too, being on a fast. Like I love hiking. And I was hiking in Colorado a couple of years ago. I got three, quarter way, three quarters of the way up the mountain and I stopped because I got altitude sickness. I was like, I got to eat something. I'm, I don't know how I can finish this hike without eating like a granola bar and having some water. Um, and imagine you have to do that on a 12 hour, like even if I was having mass at the top of the mountain, imagine you have mm -hmm. to do that on a 12 or 14 hour fast that I've undergone since midnight, just the dip level of difficulty that can be. And, you know, one of the most famous images of him, as we've already talked about, it's right behind me, uh, of him climbing the mountain. Um, and being able to do that on a physical detriment of strength, because knowing that he has to feel the detriment of like his energy dwindling down, right. but still being able to carry himself up those mountains is so inspiring. I think there's a lot to take from that in the spiritual life and just like the road to sanctity. And, you know, obviously his, one of the phrases that he's most known for, verso alto, like towards the top. Um, one of the things that really that, that inspired me too is his love of mountain climbing and just what that phrase means and for me, the path to sainthood, you know, it can be so frustrating. Like you think of the path, you think of it's just going to be a straight line up. Like it's just going to keep going up and up and up. And you think of what mountain climbing is though. And you think of like Pierre Giorgio climbing those mountains. There's a lot of peaks. There's a lot of valleys. You're going up and you're going down and it's a maneuvering. You know, the end goal is still at top, but there has to be maneuvering where you might go up a little bit and you might have to go down a little bit to get to another area. And that's why almost his love of mountain climbing makes so, so much sense to me for why he became the saint he was. I feel like there had to be some sort of understanding of 
the parallel between mountain climbing and the road to sanctity, the road to heaven, the road to holiness. Yeah, there's a lot in that statement. First, I, I, I want to point out this, that his parents loved mountain climbing. His father wrote a beautiful thing about how close to God you can be in the mountains when he was a 19-year-old guy, his father. So um, Pierre Giorgio got a lot of that. Of course, they lived right there in Turin where, and, and their summer home in Polone, there's actually a, a hike that starts at the cemetery and you follow it all the way up to the top of Mount Mucrone where there's a cross up on the mountain. And so you can make that whole climb um, I always take the cable car most of the way, but there are people, the, the real, you know, active people that will start at the, at the cemetery and go all the way. So he lived and he looked out the window and saw the mountains. And so obviously he had that innate love. Um, but a lot of that came from his family who they don't look, they look harsh and severe in pictures, but his mother took him on his first climb 10,500 feet up the mountain and didn't give him anything to eat. And uh, they said that the only thing he, she would tell him like, swallow your spit. <laughs> You're thirsty. Like, so there was a harshness. There's always talking about the, the harshness, but they were trying to prepare him mm -hmm. to have the discipline. And I do think that spiritual ascent, the verso alto is, is legendary now. Uh, it's really the motto, like more for Frasati USA than it was for Pietro Giorgio. I always say he didn't run around saying to his friends, verso alto, verso alto. But on that last climb, providentially um, he wrote he always he loved photography of course um, and he wrote on the back of that climb that a friend of his took a picture of his they always had the cameras and he wrote on the back of that photo verso alto and the date the location of the climb and then his niece I don't know if his mother did it but his niece I know did took that transposed his handwriting and put it on the front mm -hmm. now so people think that he wrote on the front um, but it is like the perfect it's it's so perfect for the spiritual life that we are going to Christ and that we are going to meet meet the obstacles and Pierre Giorgio had the wisdom when he took on a very difficult mountain climb to hire a local guide because he didn't just try to do it now that, that you know like you need a spiritual director or a good friend who can tell you don't go up this path take this path he also knew how many people died in the mountains and in his letters he would one of the letters where he writes did you see what happened to poor Loretz you know, one day he's here and the next day he died in the mountains. And when Pierre Giorgio would climb the mountains, he would take out life insurance policies for some of those difficult climbs. Because he said, when one goes into the mountains, you have to be prepared that you may not come out again. So that hobby or activity or sport, whatever you want to call it of his, um, that real passion had a real risk, a real physical risk um, that he was well aware of. Um, but, but it but God was calling him in the mountains and that he encouraged his friends that the higher we go, the better we hear the voice of Christ for him. I, I think that was very true in a lot of ways, not just on the mountain, but in the spiritual, the spiritual ascent as well. So there's a lot, there is a lot. I mean, we try not to just compartmentalize Pierre Giorgio as a mountain climbing guy, but there's a lot of richness too, as you just said, the fact that that was a big part of his life. Um, the mountain climbing. Yeah, and you know, and he would come down from the mountains with his friends and they would run right to the restaurant to have something to eat and refreshments because they, they just were exhausted from the climb up and down. And he would be gone and they knew where he was. He was in the church giving thanks to God that they all made it down safely. Mm -hmm. So even um, in the midst of those things, he was in touch with each step being um, 
brought to him by God and the Blessed Mother that he was up and down safely. He would put his sister's name down on life insurance policies if he died, you know, to help her out. But he was even thinking about others in that regard, like, should I end? And when he got to the top of a mountain, he would say, we should pray the day profundus, Psalm 134, all of those who have died and lost their lives on the mountains. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he made, everything was, um, it was like you said before, everything that he did in the world was otherworldly at the same time. And so he was the master of that, that um, he was, he, he believed in the apostolate of good example that all, at all times we should be living our lives like Christian people. So he wasn't Christian for this part of the day and not that part. He was at all times, and, and he really shows us that. It's very challenging to promote the spirituality of someone like that who was so young and mastered it. And it's very humbling for me because some days I just, I have a nice portrait of Pierre Georgia that his sister gave me that's in my house, and I go past it every day. And sometimes I look at him and go, like, I'm, I'm never going to make it. <laughs> you know, I always say in Italian, aiuto me, Pierre Giorgio, help me, help me. And, and then I, I, I just stop and I marvel at all he accomplished and what he did. And so he makes it look easy, even, you know, when it's hard, he makes it look easy so that you get up and try again, because at the one level you say, well, if you can do it, I can do it. And sometimes then I look and go, I'll never be able to do it. But he thought that sometimes as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pierre Giorgio would say to his friends, pray for me, um, that, I, that I will have an iron will that does not bend or fail in God's projects and that he had felt that he had no self-discipline or self-control. So he wasn't sitting there coasting and saying, yeah, I've got it. I got it made. I'm living the life of a good Christian man. He felt and deeply his shortcomings in the eyes of God. Like he wasn't to the top. He was going to the top. I mean, he wasn't at the top. He was going, going always to the top. higher That's, and higher. that's such an important distinction too. I think I'm a, I'm a big on the mental aspect and the psychology behind faith. And something I've been really in the kick of is this whole fixed versus growth mindset and the fixed mindsets, you know, I, I'm not at the top. I'll never get there. And the growth mindset is I'm not on the, I'm not at the top, but I'm on my way. Um, right. That's something so beautiful about Pierre Giorgio is I think he understood and he was very in touch with the idea that he was in the world, but he did not belong to the world. He was a citizen of heaven first, even though he was still in the world. And I think he always was in touch with that and always in touch of the shortcomings of himself as a citizen of heaven. Like he knew being a child of God, it it came with different responsibilities and it came with a higher expectation, which he held himself accountable to. And he was very aware of his shortcomings, but they weren't enough to let him lose his hope. It never, he never lost his peace over that. It was always a, okay, I, I might've fallen short, but it's a motivation to keep climbing okay, I tripped and I stumbled, but it's a motivation to go higher. Um, and that's just that, that entire phrase. It's really what it means to me. And that's why, again, I just think that he's one of those people, no matter what state stage you are at life, as a laity, as a priest, anyone, there's just so much you can gain from. Right. And his parents, who um, had a very difficult marriage, they, they got that after he died. You know, because I think that was a big cross for him, um, the stress, and it was a big cross for him, the strain in the family marriage. Um, it's a well-known story that he had a real, um, I don't want to say he was in love with this girl, but he was very interested mm-hmm. in a certain girl. And that he made the decision to not pursue that relationship because he said, what good would it be to build a new relationship, on, you know, on the ruins of another um, and so he made that sacrifice, but the the love he had for his parents was so deep. And what would have been his greatest desire was for them to 
have that understanding of the spiritual life. And so his father returned to the sacraments after his death. And then later his father lived to be 92 years old. And in, if you can look back and see some of the things, unfortunately so much is just in Italian, but you can see that although they didn't understand everything you just said now about him, that that was the way he lived his life, they were able to have an appreciation for that, unfortunately after the fact, but for him that would not have been in vain for them to be able to see and understand why he went into the parties at the very end and said goodbye to everyone as they were leaving and didn't want the high life. Mm-hmm. And why he would take the flowers off the tables and give them to the poor and say, the poor people need happy things too. They need things like flowers, not just like the food and, and you know the basic minimums, just happy things. Um, things that they couldn't understand about him in life, I think they were able to understand after because they had a deeper appreciation of that otherworldliness of him that you just described, which I think was kind of led to him being a, a misunderstood growing up by people who didn't share the faith that he shared. Um, but after the fact, the way he was helped them to then reach those, uh, you know, re- to get it. They were able to get it eventually and see it in his life and understand it more. So he suffered from that, but I, I don't think he would have thought it was in vain if at the end of the day, um, because when you, when you know, like Pierre Giorgio, that you don't really belong, I, I mean, that's what's, that's what's, I think, so necessary about him in our culture. He had everything that we, every reality TV show says we need, you know, money and all these different things. And he had all of those things, but he knew there was more to life. And that was to follow the ways of God and to be with him in heaven. And he said that we owe the Blessed Mother everything. She was the most important woman in his life, really. Um, The Eucharist was absolutely central to his life. So he knew all of those things. And it had to have been a great burden for him whenever he saw anybody who didn't get it. Because he, that, and he would feel it all the more, especially his own family. Um, and so I think that, that that interior loneliness would have been a special burden for him, but one that he would have been willing to suffer, knowing that in the end, it would kept his family, his parents together and eventually back to the fullness of the faith. So, so we have to be in it for the long, the long game. I think that's a, a lesson in that that you can't take five steps up the mountain and meet an obstacle and say, that's it, I'm running back down. And his mountain climbing, I think, did a lot to, um, it was synergistic, I think, with his spiritual life because mastering a difficult mountain physically, and then maybe you can go back and master something harder spiritually Mm -hmm. as well. So they worked in tandem, I think. Exactly. Yeah, beautifully put, actually. Um, But again, just before we close out, I wanted to kind of give you time to highlight, you know, he is in this process of canonization. Uh, I know right now he is beatified. He is blessed Pier Giorgio. Um, but wanted you to kind of take some time, allow people to understand like, where is he in this process? What is needed still? The prayer is needed for it. Uh, the technicality, the miracles needed, all of that good stuff. Uh, I just wanted to give you some time to touch on that really quick. I know for Saudi USA, your guys' mission is to spread awareness and spread his name all over. But I know you guys are also heavily involved with that canonization process and that's something that all of us who are devoted to Pier Giorgio are extremely excited to happen in hopefully the very near future. Yeah, it's really simple. He needs to have one miracle. You need one miracle after you become blessed to become a saint. So he was beatified in 1990. And there's a the story of, um, it's called Georgia, the modern day miracle story. It's a, a video that we did about the healing of Kevin Becker from New York, who 
suffered a traumatic brain injury and had a miraculous recovery and actually had the experience of Pier Giorgio being with him while he was in a coma the entire time. That's a tremendous story. Uh, like I said, it's on the internet. It's on, it's on our website and, and YouTube. Um, that, that is a case that I have really believed is the canonization type miracle. Um, but I don't have the final say it comes from <laughs> the congregation of yeah. the saints and a lot of investigation and things go into it. I get really frustrated because I'm like, we, we need the lay saints. We, we definitely need the lay saints. But um, in reality, it's only been 30 years since his beatification, which is really not, it's a blink of an eye in the canonization mm -hmm. process, but, um, and it's in God's time. I mean, God knows when it'll have to happen. So when I, um, began this particular ministry, it really was to share the spirituality of Pier Giorgio because I think we just need this example as laity in our culture. Um, I have 41 nieces and nephews and one on the way, and a great joy for me is uh, one of my nephews took Pier Giorgio as his confirmation name and asked me to be his sponsor, and um, just the witness to them of knowing that there's a young uh, holy example that you don't have to go into religious life or, or, or let's say by not going into religious life does not excuse you from trying to be holy mm -hmm. and living a good upstanding moral holy life. So that, that was re that's really my motivation and still is, is to have this witness for us day to day that we have a holy example to um, follow and help us to be our spiritual friend and guide to get us to heaven. The canonization would be fabulous, um, but that's all driven by the Vatican offices and things. Mm -hmm. So getting to know Pier Giorgio is key because to have a miracle reported, you have to have been praying through his intercession for a miracle. So if people don't know about him, then they're not asking him. Like in the Kevin Becker story, Kevin's cousin had just discovered Pier Giorgio and asked the family, let's all pray. Pier Giorgio needs a miracle and Kevin needs a miracle. So let's just pray that this would be the one. Um, and I, I hope it would be the one. But um, so more, the more people get to know him, um, the more people will in, turn to him in those cases and the more miracles that happen that we can report and hope that one of those would be approved. So we just um, pray. There's a canonization prayer on the website. It's called conveniently the canonization prayer. <laughs> Is he enough? <laughs> and so I would definitely ask people to say that prayer for his canonization. Uh, and that particularly if there are any obstacles that are standing in the way, that those would be removed. Because, um, yeah, I think it would be just really a great blessing at this time to, to have him canonized. But it's in God's hands. I, there's, not, there's really nothing I can do about that but pray. Yep. Um, there, there was a movement a few years ago, a petition that was signed by people all over the world asking Pope Francis to just wave that second miracle and just go on and canonize him. <laughs> Part of me doesn't really want that. A yeah. Part of me, part of me would like to see that it was through a miracle. And yeah, that, I would agree. And Pope Francis, I don't think, is interested in doing that. He did that a couple of saint, mm -hmm. a couple of canonizations, but that would those were exceptions. Um, but I, I think the time is is right, and um, you know, maybe if we all prayed and fasted a little bit, we could make it happen. There we go. <laughs> no, yeah, it's, in God, it's totally in God's hands, and He'll know uh, when the time is right. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Again, we just need more examples. Holiness is not the call for the few, but the call for the many. Um, and no better example than Pierre Giorgio for that. Um, last thing before I let you go, uh, again, for Saudi USA, if people are curious about learning more about Pierre Giorgio, 
what resources are there? How can they get involved with uh, Forsati USA? I know you guys have Forsati groups all over the country. What is the process? How can they learn more, discover more, get more involved? Okay, so Forsati USA is more of a resource. It's not an organization that people join. Like, mm -hmm. um, there are not rules for starting a group. It's not like I like to say to compare to the Knights of Columbus that has everything kind of structurally. This is, uh, there are a lot of groups and we try to put them out there. If people tell us that we have a group that we've formed, there's some guidance on the website for how to, how to start a group, some suggestions and a list of as many as, you know, whenever somebody tells us, we put them up there. Um, so there, if there's a group near you, um, it would be great to tap into that and find them right now, especially a lot of these people are everybody's doing their online meetings and things like that in this, this, this situation. Um, so there's no, we don't control groups mm -hmm. or decide who forms one. We just try to support them with resources. Okay. For Saudi USA really tries to do is to be the number one spirit source of information about Pierre mm -hmm. Giorgio, because I'm very well aware from all of my time working with Pierre Giorgio's niece, that a lot of the books translated, and there's only a few, two by his sister that have been translated, or three, three by his sister are in English right now. Um, and then there are other books that people write, and there's a lot of misinformation um, about him. And so what I try to do is to say that the accurate information is there on Forsyth USA to get to know him. And from there, you can get to all of the social media and get to the bookstore where you can order things. To be honest, when I started, uh, the first Forsyth group that I started, there really was nothing. And I know that there are still a lot of people who um, haven't met him yet. John Paul too said, get to know him. You know, that was his, his urging, get to know him. And so that's one of our videos is get to know him. Um, there are so many more organizations out there doing a lot of things, making great little products, things that I've bought from other people as well, like a lot of nice little things, inspiring things. So we're, we're gaining momentum. Mm -hmm. um, but for the spirituality and those basic resources of prayer cards and books and um, the accurate information about his life, that's really the, the goal of Forsyth USA to, to give you those things. And if there's anything that you um, need to know or learn about him to just reach out and we'll try to get that information for you. This kind of thing, I really appreciate it that you've had me come on and be your guest. This is exactly what the mission of Forsyth USA is to disseminate that message so that people have yet one more example and inspiration. Sometimes when you just feel like there's nobody out there doing it, there at least was one guy. <laughs> there at least was one guy who did it, did it well. And he just, he just shows us how to do it in an effortless way. Like don't, we don't have to make it so hard. You can be holy. You, you know, you don't have to be perfect. Um, you just have to be holy. Uh, be holy. I like how God says, be holy as I am holy. Oh yeah, that's easy, right? <laughs> But I think Pierre Georgia shows us how, how we implement that one step at a time, um, literally up the mountain to, yep. to the top, to holiness. To the top, yep. Well, Christine, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I think hopefully this will be able to spread the word and spread the awareness of him. And uh, again, I beg everyone to get to know Pierre Giorgio. There's definitely Amen. something you can learn, definitely something you can gain. Don't be afraid of the call to holiness. Yeah. Yeah. How about a quick prayer? Do you mind? Yeah, let's do it. A, a quick prayer uh, that uh, is often said. This is not the canonization prayer, but just another one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father, you gave to the young Pier Giorgio Frassati the joy of meeting Christ and of living his faith in the service of the poor and the sick. Through his intercession, may we too walk the path of the Beatitudes and follow the example of his generosity 
spreading the spirit of the gospel in society. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Blessed Pierre Giorgio. Pray for us. Pray for us. And Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. And yeah, thank, thank you, for- you so much. Of course. Um, again, everyone, thank you for listening today. Thank you for joining us. Uh, in Leo of taking prayers for myself and the podcast and the catch, I'm going to ask that you guys instead direct those towards uh, Blessed Pierre Giorgio, his cause, um, as well as Prasada USA and their mission. Uh, any way that you can support them would be great, whether financially or just going on their website, getting information. Um, any help would be appreciated, I'm sure, Christine. Uh, but that's all we have for you guys today. So from all of us here at The Catch, thank you guys. We'll see you guys later. <laughs>